Warning, this podcast may contain content and discussions of a graphic and mature nature. Some material may be inappropriate for children, and strong adult language may be present. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Devil's Hour, a podcast for the strange and unusual. Um, it's your host, Darius, and I am back here yet again for part two of The Toy Box Killer, also known as David Parker Ray. I'm here with my co-host, Michael. I am Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming back uh, to finish this off here. Before we start talking about this case, I do want to give a second disclaimer, um, just due to the nature, uh, the heinous nature of this serial killer's crimes. Um, so murder itself is horrible enough, but, uh, in this particular case, there is going to be talk of, of rape, um, and torture, sexual torture, sexual abuse and assault. Um, so these are topics that are going to be covered in depth. Um, so if this is something you think that you're not going to be able to listen to, or you simply don't want to listen to it, I totally understand. Um, this, you might want to change the episode. You might not want to listen to, you might want to just skip this episode. Um, so in the first part of this, uh, I guess we could just call it series, um, we touched on like David Parker Ray's early life, his early crimes, uh, and all that good stuff. So just to kind of recap a little bit about, you know, his life, um, David Parker Ray, for those of you who are just tuning in, um, and haven't had time yet to to listen to the first episode, um, David Parker Ray is uh, also known as the toy box killer. Um, he was a sexual sadist who abducted, tortured, raped and murdered women from the time he was 15 years old, uh, beginning in 1954, to the day of his capture on March 22nd, 1999. Um, so David Parker Ray had a 45-year crime, crime spree, um, and detectives estimate that he had over 60 victims during this, during this time. Yet he was never actually convicted of any murders, which is um, unique to, well, serial killers really, but unique to him, what, what makes him unique. Um, and so the Toy Box Killer is most well-known for his uh, Toy Box trailer, I guess you could call it, because it, it was a trailer, um, yeah. where he you know, would, would take his victims to it, and this is where he would conduct his sadistic um, practices, activities, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, so this was in Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. And the reason why they call it the Toy Box, um, like I said, it, it was a trailer in the backyard of his house in New Mexico, but inside the trailer was um, – it was a soundproof trailer. So he soundproofed it. Um, he had a gynecology chair set up in there where he would – that had straps on it where he would strap his victims in. Um, he would often drug them so they'd be more compliant. Um, also so that they would forget what was happening. Um, he would sexually abuse them. He would rape them and he would torture them. So he had uh, – David Parker Ray was a like a mechanic. He was very good with his hands and very creative and, and – would often come up with his own like torture, sexual torture devices. Uh, he had various amounts. They call it the toy box because he had various different um, sexual toys in there. And most, I'd say most of the toys that were in there were 
made himself. Yeah, right? self-made. Yeah. yeah. And we were talking about it in the previous episode, um, like one of the craziest toys that he had was this like oversized dildo made from PVC pipe, I think it was, right? I'm not 100% sure what material, but it was pipe. It was some kind of pipe. Yeah. And uh, at the base of the dildo were just a bunch of like nails, nails. sticking out, obviously. It was like, like you said, two rings of nails sticking out. Um, obviously intended to just rip and tear through flesh, you know, as you inserted it. And obviously he would do it over and over and over again. Another thing that he had was he had a, a gun and at the end of the gun was a dildo. Um, Oh yeah. It was like a reciprocating saw, wasn't it? Yeah. So you can imagine what he would do with that. I mean, and if you imagine like he, he wouldn't just do it in like the normal area, you know, he would do it everywhere. Yeah. Like he, as he mentions in his tapes, which we'll, I guess we're going to get into yeah. in this episode. Yeah. Uh, he does explicitly always mention that, you know, every hole you've got is going to be used or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And used thoroughly. I think he does say something like that. Yeah. So we are definitely going to get into the tape during this episode. Cause this is this episode. Cause the last episode we didn't touch on like, any of the murders that, or any of the, I guess, um, tortures that were done in the toy box. Cause this was like before he even created it. Yeah. But now, long before. yeah, long before. So this episode, we're going to get into, you know, his creation of the toy box, him actually, you know, his most popular victims. Um, and then obviously the tape and this tape, for those of you who don't know, it, um, it's, a, it's about 40 minutes long before we get more to the tape. Yeah. Uh, Something I had notated about the toy box to just kind of give people an idea on just how sealed tight this thing was. Not only did he soundproof it, but the, according to the book that I have about him, the door to the toy box was a double deadbolted steel reinforced door. So like this was a solid door that no one could get out from. If you were in there, there's just no way you're unlocking that thing and getting out. Yeah. Um, it was nuts. Dang, uh, it was nuts. And one fun fact, well, not fun, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, and I guess we'll start talking about her too in this episode, but apparently his girlfriend was responsible for naming the toy box. Really? Yeah. Found that out. Uh, originally he wanted to just call it the play box, Mm. which doesn't have a nice ring to it. Doesn't have a ring to it. No, no, no. I mean, if you're going to be a a serial killer, you need pizzazz. Yeah, exactly. That's why uh, Jack the Ripper was so great because Jack the Ripper is a pretty awesome name. I mean, obviously he's not an awesome person, but that's a cool name, Jack the Ripper. (laughs) Jack the Ripper. Uh, Always feels like we're treading on thin ice when we try to say something (laughs) positive about fucked up people. I uh, am. It's not really meant to be positive. It's just... Anyway, <laughs> anyway, my point is, as I was saying, Cindy Hendy, she's the one who named, according to the book, she's the one who named the toy box. Wow, that's cool. And see, I didn't know that, so we weren't actually going to cover that. So I'm glad you brought it up. All right, so now we're going to get into um, the toy box killers, like I said, most popular crimes, the investigation which led to his ultimate capture, and what ended up happening after that. So our story picks up here in 1986 when David Parker Ray was 46 years old. Um, his daughter Jesse was just um, his daughter Jesse has just come forward to the FBI with information that her father is a serial rapist and killer. This immediately began the FBI's investigation into De- uh, David Parker Ray. Not much is known about this investigation into the toy box killer, but what we do know is that they searched for several of his victims but were unable to recover or find anything. Um, 
It also didn't help that Jesse Ray couldn't give any of the victims' names um, to authorities because she herself never knew their names, supposedly. I mean, who knows if that's true or not. Many, if not... Many, many, if not the majority of the Toy Box Killers victims were sex workers or drug addicts or both. Um, he made it a point to target these women because he knew they were vulnerable. And unfortunately, police forces back then and honestly even today didn't take crimes against um, sex workers very seriously uh, or their disappearances seriously, to be, to be honest. Um, we can see that throughout history really like – Unfortunately, that is a sad reality. Like when a sex worker goes missing or um, is suspected of being murdered, police tend to drag their feet about it or not really make a big deal about it because and – and I was actually reading up on another case. It was uh, in Canada, which I would like to cover sometime in the future. But um, but th- this particular serial killer would only target sex workers because he knew that in Canada especially, they – the police did not care about sex workers. Like he could kidnap them, he could kill them, he could dispose of them, and like the the legal system just had like a major flaw in that particular era uh, area. Um, so unfortunately, David Parker Ray took advantage of these kind of women, and um, a lot of his victims were fell into the category of sex workers. Um, we also know that. We also know that they did bring David in for questioning during this investigation on multiple occasions. When David was brought in for questioning, he was very cooperative and upfront with police about his sexual fetishes and kinks. He even told them that he was involved and a part of the underground BDSM community in Phoenix. He even told them that some of his personally created uh, torture devices uh, were in some BDSM magazines. Um, David showed police the ads he had created and placed in the magazines. Um, for his BDSM toy business, and he even took them to the P.O. Box where he received and shipped orders out of New Mexico. Uh, It was shocking how upfront and honest David seemed about his sexual urges. He told them that ever since he was 13 years old, he was obsessed with bondage culture and more specifically sadism. So that was another thing that I didn't know either was that, um, that he like actually had a business of creating like I knew he created sex toys obviously but I always just thought it was for his own use but I didn't know that he actually made a business out of it and sold sex toys and actually like had yeah. it in magazines dang it's pretty crazy yeah and I don't I I don't know if I really need to but I just have this feeling like when you say underground BDSM community I feel like BDSM has become so um so mainstream at this point uh, for you know younger generations um, that maybe they don't realize that when we say underground it doesn't mean like it was like a crazy extra level of BDSM that's you know, <laughs> no it's like once upon a time this was not you know so widely accepted it was something that was always kept in the shadows like you know just yeah. normal BDSM people who weren't you know committing heinous crimes or just engaging in rough sex they had to like hide who they were, so it was like underground, uh, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. Like non mainstream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not like there's like this huge community of like sickos that are like <laughs> committing these crimes together. No, it was yeah. just um, you know it wasn't accepted as it is now. Yeah, definitely. No, I'm glad that you brought that up because yeah, we should. It was good that we cleared it up because yeah, maybe some listeners didn't know what under, what we meant by underground, but yeah, yeah, for sure, not mainstream at all um 
David told FBI investigators that he thought he was, quote, potentially dangerous, but never confessed to any specific crimes. Um, So we don't know if the FBI ever searched his home or tapped his phones. But what we do know is that the investigation lasted for an entire year, ending in the summer of 1987. Yet throughout this time and investigation, investigators were unable to find any shred of concrete evidence linking David Parker Ray to any crimes. Because... Jesse had either been unable or unwilling to provide any specific details about the victims. The FBI was left with general accusations and no hard evidence. Um, also, David Parker Ray's willingness to cooperate and like his openness with police about his life, that led uh, investigators to believe that he was a weird man with unusual hobbies and fantasies. But they believed he was like innocent nonetheless. They were just like, yeah, this yeah, guy's like, just... He's just a peculiar person. He hasn't <laughs> yeah. done anything. Yeah, exactly. They're like, this guy just likes weird sex, but like, he's fine. He's innocent. Pretty much is what they thought. Um, He's a weird fella, but uh, we'll just let him go. Yeah. Um, We know David was a confident and experienced killer, so perhaps he knew that being willing to cooperate and appearing to be open and honest with police would make him look like innocent and like he had nothing to hide. But the sad truth is that David Parker Ray was most likely so confident in himself when dealing with police because he got rid of all traces of evidence and he was like confident in that fact. You know what I mean? So it's like easy to be confident when you're like a hundred percent sure. Like, yeah, they can search my home. I'll be perfectly fine. I got rid of everything. So yeah. Like so confident that it's like, I could literally just tell them I did it, but they can't put me up without evidence, solid evidence, which they'll never find. So they'll just think I'm crazy. I don't know. Exactly. I mean, not that he actually would think that, but I'm just saying like, that's how much he covered his tracks that he probably could have like said, yeah, I killed him. And then yeah. they'd find nothing to be able to hold it against him and be like, well, then is he, cause I don't know if a court can like put you away just for saying you did something. A confession. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I've, I've read some cases that said yes, but then I've also seen some cases where it wasn't enough. So, the, I don't know, the legislative system is so, like... And honestly, after researching this, there was... Most likely he would have gotten away with it if he said he did it. Probably. Um, even if he said he did it. Because th- there, there was moments in this... in the When they were talking about the trials where it, you'd think there was hard enough evidence that the jury would have labeled him guilty, but they didn't. Um, they actually had to try him twice in the case of... Uh, Kelly Garrett because the first jury was a hung jury some people thought he was innocent it was like 50-50 wow really Um, yeah and the judge called for a unanimous vote it had to be unanimous so even if just one person thought he was innocent that was enough to hold things up so they had to retry with a new judge and a new jury that's insane even even with the videotape and Kelly her tattoo matching I, I don't know we'll get more into that later but it was wow. like, how was that not enough? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so, I mean, kind of like going based off what you said in terms of like he was so com- – or kind of like what we both said. But he was so confident that – he was so confident of how well he disposed of the body or like got rid of them because maybe he didn't kill them um, that he didn't have to worry about it. it. It makes sense because he said something that I think I told you off – kind of off air that like he, he literally told investigators – that he thinks he's dangerous. Yeah. So like, why would you, if you were like someone who actually killed people, 
you would not want to tell investigators that you think you're dangerous. Like that's just like not a good, not a smart thing to say about yourself, you know? When the initial investigation ended, David was left alone to continue his evil and sinister deeds. As a matter of fact, while this is crazy, by the way, this part right here. As a matter of fact, while the investigation was still underway, so during this year, you know, people were investigating. Um, he managed to abduct at least two women during this investigation. So oh, F- yeah, I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, the, the FBI are like actively watching him and like trying to see if he's a serial killer, right? To like validate or invalidate Jesse's claims. And he abducts two women. One was a 25-year-old sex worker that he chained up while she was sleeping. He hung her from the ceiling with cuffs on her wrists and subjected her to all sorts of sexual torture. He held her as his prisoner for two whole weeks before disposing of her. Um, Whether he killed her, sold her into slavery, or released her back into the public, we do not know. Um, The other girl he abducted was a 15-year-old girl, so this makes him a pedophile. Yeah. Um, He found hitchhiking... 15-year-old girl he found hitchhiking home from school. He tortured her like he did the other victim. However, he said he found this girl particularly enjoyable... Because she was, uh, uh, here it comes. because she was small and quote like a Barbie doll, pretty and easy to handle. Just like most of the toy box killer victims, we do not know the girl's ultimate fate. Somehow, these two victims went completely unnoticed by the FBI, despite the fact that they were investigating him at the time. All right, we got to stop and talk about this because what the actual fuck? <laughs> like, I don't understand how he could. I I, I am truly baffled by that. The FBI is actively investigating you, and you somehow, somehow kidnap and torture two different women. Yeah. Well, one woman and a girl, and you hold one of them as your slave for two weeks. I don't understand how the FBI doesn't pick up on that. You know what I mean? Well, first thing that came to my mind right now is because um, I was going to say, like, I mean, wouldn't they get a search warrant for his uh, for his home and would have found her there? But then. He probably knew that they would probably do that, so maybe he actually set her up somewhere else. Like in his earlier uh, in his history, he's taken people out to the woods and caves. Um, maybe he figured it's time to do it old school. You know? But as a yeah. as a counter to that, yeah. FBI would find that really suspicious. Like, why is he why is he not home? Where is he? Let's go. Well, I mean, it depends on just how close of a watch were they putting on it. Remember, I mean, all they had was the words of a of a random tip, like well, and in the I think in the eyes of uh, of like law enforcement like that, they have to also give the benefit of the doubt that maybe the person who called in the tip is just trying to get someone in trouble. Like, what if it? They don't have evidence that this is true, so they just can't assume they have to watch him 24-7. That is true. Yeah. But for me, it's like, this was his daughter, and they knew it was his daughter. Yeah. So, it's like, for me, that, like, substantiates it a little more. Because it's like, oh, yeah, I mean, she could be holding a grudge against him, right? She could just be trying to get him in trouble. That's true. Yeah. But if she's claiming what she's claiming, which is that he was, like, a serial rapist and killer, that's a big claim. That's a huge claim. Yeah. Uh, that's not something that you're just like, you know, as an, I'm just putting myself in the FBI shoes. Like, that's yeah. not something I would just brush off. Yeah, like people, I mean, the American judicial system is, you know, innocent until proven guilty. However, okay, if you're innocent, you should have nothing to hide. So I should be watching you, you know, with this yeah. kind of a claim. Unfortunately, it looks like uh, they didn't do that. 
So two people lost, you know, two more people lost their lives during this time, or yep. maybe they did at least. Um, it, it feels so weird saying that, like maybe they did, maybe they didn't. Is, this is just such a weird case because you can't, we, we don't really know. I mean, he did so many things with his victims. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense that you have to say that because, like, like we said, the uh, he has admitted to killing people, but he's also sold them into slavery, and from time to time he would just release them back into regular regular life, you know, yeah. drop him off where he picked him up, so to speak. Yeah. Um, exactly. So, I mean, who knows what he did with him? Um, at some point in 1986, uh, Jesse and her father made amends, and Jesse soon began assisting her father in his crimes yet again. So <clears throat> they had that falling out. She called the FBI. FBI investigated... But then she made amends with her father, and uh, I guess, yeah, she just continued back with her. It kind of, now that I'm thinking about it, it kind of baffles me that he actually trusted her enough to let her back into his life. Mm. Like, again, that kind of leans to the the thought, the theory, of which I don't really stand on that strongly. It's just a thought uh, that maybe, just maybe, he wanted to get caught. Um, Because, like, why would you let... someone who just tried to throw you uh, under the bus to the dogs, whatever euphemism you want to use, um, or old saying you want to use, you know, how are you going to trust them after they just tried to hand you over to the FBI? True. Right? Unless he didn't know it was Jesse. They might not disclose that to him. Mm. Truth. Uh, they definitely wouldn't have disclosed that to him, mm-hmm. which... And she totally probably pops my bubble there. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but then again, it's like, I don't know. There's such a twisted kind of family that I feel like he had to have known, like either she told him or warned him before he even did it or threatened to do it. So he probably figured it was her. Um, and for some reason he, my guess is the way they made amends is because he's considered a master of manipulation and, uh, psychological types of things that he just somehow managed to get her under his thumb and figured, all right, I'm safe now. Like she got out of my control for a second, but I reeled her back in and that's why he trusted her. I don't know. It's a possibility, but in the words of a few good men, you seen that movie? Tom Cruise. I feel like Jack I Wilson. have. Like I know the I know of the movie. It's an okay. iconic movie. But, yeah. Uh, I don't think I've sat through the whole thing. Okay, well, it's a pretty good movie. I would watch yeah. it. But in the words of a few good men, it's not what I believe. It's what I can prove. Hmm. I don't know. I just felt like saying that. I don't All know. this <laughs> running through my mind right now is if you if you include the the part where I mentioned seeing child's play with you people are gonna be like you watch fucking child's play but not a few good men i know right <laughs> yeah i did i mean if there's a lot know. of things on my to-do list and one of the things on my to-do list is to do my to-do list uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's the kind of person i am yeah that's true that's true <laughs> very true okay so david parker ray's next victim was his first and only murder that was committed for non-sexual reasons and it also happens to be the first and only male victim um you know where i'm going with this this murder occurred in 1988 apparently back in phoenix where he owned half of the mechanic business um, with his business partner billy bowers um things there were becoming more unstable Uh, although the business was lucrative and doing well billy was growing tired of the mechanic life and 
actually wanted to sell his half of the business to David. For some reason, this angered David, and we don't exactly know why, but others close to the business stated that they heard David and Billy arguing frequently about money. Um, It's always about money somehow, right? By September of that year, Billy had told his family that he was afraid that someone might kill him. Um, it's, It's not clear if Billy ever claimed that David was threatening him, but he just said that he was afraid someone might try to kill him. Um, I feel like he knew. He probably. I feel like he knew enough about David's dark darkness and dark past that he was like, "All right, I know that I got under his skin, and he's gonna want to do something to me." You could be very right about that because, as we'll learn um, later in this episode, he's pretty open about like if you're like his friend or just close to him, he's pretty open about like the things he does. Yeah, like and a lot more open than I would expect. Yeah, I was like, dang, how is this guy so wreck? Like, I felt like he was really reckless, honestly, sometimes, but we'll get into that later. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Billy, you know, he told his family he was afraid someone would kill him. Um, never really specifically mentioned David, but he did mention he was afraid that someone would hurt him. Billy, though, Billy had several secret company workbooks uh, that informing his employees to contact the police if anything ever happened to him, which is, wow, that's crazy. By the end of September, Billy Bowers had disappeared. Uh, None of his friends or family members or employees knew where he'd gone, and they contacted the police immediately. Um, The police did a detailed investigation of the shop and even interrogated uh, interrogated David extensively. However, David denied any involvement in Billy's disappearance. Um, And while the police had still suspected that David might have been involved, they had no body or any evidence that they could use to bring against him. Um, So ultimately, he was dismissed. Um, during that same year, David abducted two more women in Phoenix. One was an 18-year-old sex worker, and the other was a 16-year-old runaway. Both had been tied to different beds and been held for two weeks at a time. These were also occasions where David, quote, shared them with a friend. This would suggest that he, David, had an unnamed accomplice helping him during this time period. Around this time, David purchased a detachable semi-trailer that he put in the back of his home in Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. He made this trailer soundproof and stocked it with sex toys and homemade torture devices. Eventually, this trailer would become known as David Parker Ray's infamous toy box. Um, so just kind of like real quick about it. He, when he abducted these two women, it says in his journals that he uh, shared them with a friend in, his, yeah. in the quote, which shows that he had an accomplice, but obviously he never states who the accomplice was. And as we as we go on later, we know that it's not it's it's highly it's um, highly unlikely that it was his other you know the other people that are involved with him later on in yeah. his life. So this just goes to show, like, dang, like how many accomplices did this guy have? Like he would get people involved actively, like yeah, throughout his life. Um, which also, I've heard some theories that again, it's just theories, but I've heard theories that. Um, the reason why David Parker Ray was able to get away with so much crime in Truth or Consequences and, and just so much crime is because uh, he, like, multiple people were involved. Well, we know, like, he had some accomplices and people yeah. that he, like, let join in. Mm-hmm. But supposedly the theory is that he had some people in law enforcement that were involved and knew about his activities as well. That's the theory. And um, although I, I don't know where I stand on the theory. I mean, I think it's a possibility, but at the same time, I don't know. I mean, that rings true with, well... Not like I'm a final word, but that rings true with one of uh, one of my theories is that uh, 
like how I told you a little bit earlier that the it was a hung jury for that first trial over uh, his crimes against uh, Kelly Garrett. Um, I was starting to think to myself, like, where exactly did these jury did this jury come from? Because in the documentary I was watching, it showed uh, a county courthouse, but I mean, he was also being pursued by the FBI. So I was like, is this is this county court? Is this federal court? What what was this done? Because the jury, I think if it was a federal jury, the jurors would have come from all over the place. Whereas if it was a county courthouse, maybe it's jurors from that count. I mean, jurors from that county. And I'm thinking, uh, he made claims that he was part of a satanic cult. Yeah, he did. And I'm like, what if some of the people from his cult were on that jury? And that's why it was a hung jury. That's why some people were claiming his innocence. Mm. Even though there was so much in my opinion, hard evidence that he had committed those crimes. That's a good point. I mean, honestly, that theory, it kind of resonated with me a little bit when I heard it. I was like, dude, honestly, that it's definitely a strong possibility. Like, and it's a small town too, you know? Yeah. Like there could definitely, everybody. Exactly. And, um, yeah, you, I, I just, I think it's definitely a possibility for sure. Um, in September of 1989, only a few miles from David's home, uh, a fisherman came across a tarp floating, uh, floating on the water. The fisherman called the police and the police soon realized that the tarp had two fishing anchors tied to it. Um, when they finally were able to pull the tarp onto their boat, they realized that the tarp was tightly wrapped around the body of a, of a man who had been in the water for some time. Uh, upon further medical examination, it was determined that the man had been murdered by a single gunshot to the back of his head. Due to decomposition, the body was unidentifiable at the time. However, it would later be determined that this body was the body of Billy Bowers, years and years later. Uh, His body had emerged from the water after having been anchored to the bottom of the lake for a whole year. Um, Billy Bowers was the the only one of David Parker Ray's victims whose body was ever found. If I remember correctly, they found the body a year like it had been decaying for a year. Yeah. But didn't they didn't it take them even longer to identify the body? Yeah. 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 Yeah, it says here it took years. They didn't even identify it until years later. That's right. Sorry. I told you I'm in and out. My, <laughs> my brain is in and out because I'm thinking about so many different yeah, details all at once. I know, I know. It's a, uh, it's a crazy case. A lot of <laughs> God. people listening to this are like, like, bro, he just said it. <laughs> He just said it. It's like, bro, get a better co-host, bro. <laughs> oh, oh, damn. No, I guess I'll just pack this up. You can re-record this with someone else. I'm <laughs> just kidding. No. Damn. No, it's it's a lot of information. And then, like, to process it and try to, like, yeah, it's just a lot. But plus, um, plus also, I, I talk kind of fast. And I have gotten that feedback before. Uh, I'm from New York, damn. so I talk really fast. I'm just kidding. I don't Whatever. know. Whatever. No. I do, I do tend to talk fast when I'm, like, really, like, excited about something or really into something. Um, or really nervous, but I'm not nervous right now. So it's probably just the fact that I'm really interested in this topic and really just like, you know, trying to get the information across. I do apologize for my fast speech, but I'm trying to slow it down just for, I don't know. Literally, there's just one comment about it. So that's, yeah, literally that's literally literally just one just comment. comment. I apologize to that one person, man. Sorry, bro. Yeah. Trying, to, trying to fix it just for you. But I appreciate that one person still giving me, I think he gave me like a four or five star. So I appreciate that at least. Uh, he was like, good information, but try to slow it down a little bit. It's a little fast. Four, so. four or five stars is worth making an adjustment. Yeah. It is. It yeah. is true. Yeah. So I do appreciate the feedback. I am taking it into consideration and I am trying to slow down. Um, 
I'm just, you know, I'm just excited, excited about. But I am still willing to accept full responsibility for having the attention span of a squirrel. <laughs> okay, so for the next several years, David Parker Ray continued to abduct, torture, rape, and kill women. While at the same time, he continued to work and improve his toy box trailer. He added, um, he added a gynecologist chair, but with a sick twist. He added electrical wiring to the chair so that he could electrocute his victims who were strapped to the chair. Um, in 1993, he recorded and perfected his abduction introduction tape. He would play this tape for his victims as they awoke in his torture chamber. He had recorded this tape to inform his victims of all the perverse and sadistic things he was going to do to them. Uh, the tape was approximately 40 minutes long and is uh, very graphic and disturbing in nature um, for obvious reasons. So just want to stop and talk about the, the tape real quick. All right. So I'm going to play a clip for you from the audio tape that David Parker Ray um, obviously created and would play for his victims. Um, the tape is very long or the transcript is originally very long. It's a 40 minute tape. So obviously I can't play the whole thing, but I'm going to play just a clip. Um, it's a reenactment. Um, I don't think the FBI ever released. I'm, actually, I'm pretty sure they never released the official audio tape um, with David Parker Ray's full voice. However, if you watch some documentaries about um, the Toy Box Killer, you will, they do show um, or they do play uh, like a short clip of the actual tape so you can hear his actual voice. It's probably a couple minutes long, not very long. Um, but the clip I'm about to play for you is just a reenactment. The guy actually does a really great job because he sounds a lot like David Parker Ray. Um, um, so I'm going to go ahead and play for you guys uh, about 8 to 10 minutes of the audio tape created by the Toy Box Killer. Um, again, please be advised, what you're about to listen to is very disturbing. There is talks of rape, um, sex slavery, sexual assault, um, pedophilia as well as bestiality. So please be advised if you don't want to listen to any of that, um, I would definitely skip over this part um, and not listen to it. But what you're about to hear is very disturbing. Hello there, bitch. Are you comfortable right now? I doubt it. Wrists and ankles chained, gagged, probably blindfolded. You are disoriented and scared too, I would imagine. Perfectly normal under the circumstances. For a little while, at least, you need to get your shit together and listen to the state. It is very relevant to your situation. I'm going to tell you in detail why you have been kidnapped, what's going to happen to you, and how long you'll be here. I don't know the details of your capture because this tape is being created July 23rd, 1993 as a general advisory tape for future female captives. The information I'm going to give you is based on my experience dealing with captives over a period of several years. If, at a future date, there are any major changes in our procedures, the tape will be upgraded. Now, you are obviously here against your will. Totally helpless. Don't know where you're at. Don't know what's going to happen to you. You're very scared or very pissed off. I'm sure that you've already tried to get your wrists and ankles loose. No, you can't. Now you're just waiting to see what's going to happen next. Any time that we go on a hunting trip, if 
we can find a little teenager, we usually start hitting the gay bars, look for a well-built, big-titted lesbian. I thoroughly enjoy raping and screwing around with lesbians, and there's not as much danger of them carrying a sexually transmitted disease. And I don't like using condoms. Also, even though they're a little older, unless they've been playing with dildos a lot, they still have tight holes between their legs like the younger girls. If we can't find a lesbian that we want, we snatch anything that is young, clean, and well-built. We very seldom come back empty-handed, because there's plenty of bitches out there to choose from. And with a little practice in deception, most of them is very easy to get with a little risk. At this point, it makes little difference what category you fall into. You're here, and we're going to make the most of it. You're going to be kept in a hidden slave room. It is relatively soundproof, escape-proof, and it is completely stocked with devices and equipment to satisfy our sexual fetishes and deviations. There may or may not be another girl in the room. Occasionally, for variety, we like to keep two slaves at the same time. In either case, as the new girl, you'll definitely be getting the most attention for a while. Now, as I said earlier, you're going to be kept like an animal. I guess I've been doing this too long. I've been raping bitches ever since I was old enough to jerk off and tie the little girl's hands behind their back. As far as I'm concerned, you're a pretty piece of meat to be used and exploited. I don't give a flying fuck about your mind or how you feel about this situation. You may be married, have a kid or two, boyfriend, girlfriend, a job, car payment. Fuck it. I don't give a rat's ass about any of that. I don't want to hear about it. It's something you're going to have to deal with after you're turned loose. I make it a point never to lack a slave, and I fucking sure don't have any respect for you. Here... Your status is no more than that of one of the dogs or of one of the animals out in the barn. Your only value to us is the fact that you have an attractive, usable body. And, like the rest of our animals, you will be fed and watered, kept in good physical condition, kept reasonably clean and allowed to use the toilet when necessary, if you get a chance to talk at all. Well, let's change the subject a little bit. You already know that, for the most part, you're going to be kept in the playroom. But, once in a while, we like to take a captive into the bedroom. In chains, of course. Also, we have a couple of real close friends we party with once in a while. They know about our hang-ups and don't have any problem with fucking a slave. You may be required to service them occasionally, but that's an easy one. For the most part, just fucking and sucking. They don't get into the heavier stuff. However, when we have a party, sometimes I like to put on a little show that you won't like at all. 
you'll be taken into the living room and put on the floor on your hands and knees, naked. Your wrists, ankles, knees and hips will be strapped to a metal frame to hold your body in that position. The frame is designed for doggy fucking, your ass up in the air, sex organs exposed, your tits hanging down on each side of a metal support bar, knees spread about 12 inches, position similar to that of a bitch dog in heat, right in the middle of the floor so we can sit on the couch and in chairs and watch. I'm going to rub canine breeders musk on your back, the back of your neck, and on your sex organs. Now I have three dogs. All of them's male, because I don't need any fucking pups. One of them is a very large German shepherd that is always hoary, and he loves it when I bring him in the house to fuck a woman. After I let him in the house, he'll sniff around you a little bit, and within a minute, he'll be mounting you. There's about a 50-50 chance which hole he'll get his penis into, but it doesn't seem to bother him whether it's the pussy or the asshole. His penis is pretty thin. It goes in easy, but it's about 10 inches long, and when he gets completely excited, it gets a hell of a knot right in the middle of it. Now, I've had slaves tell me that it feels like they got a baseball inside of them. It doesn't take long. He's going to hump you real fast for about three or four minutes while he's doing it. He'll wrap his front legs around your chest to hold himself in position. And in the process, he'll probably scratch your tits up a little bit with his claws. After he gets through, he usually turns around and tries to pull out it. Oh, he'll jerk a little, not much, mostly just steady pressure, and I've timed it. The knot will usually shrink up enough to come out of your pussy in about three minutes, if he's in your asshole about five minutes. I don't use the dog all that often, but I don't deprive him of pussy either. There's no doubt that he's going to be on you a few times while you're here, because I like watching and any time it's just you, me, and the dog, it will always be in your butt. The dog knot on his penis is big and extremely uncomfortable when he's uh, pushing it back and forth way up in her anus. I really enjoy watching a girl wiggle, jerk, squirm around while he's doing it. Consequently, I give him a little uh, assistance in getting it in the right hole. Now, if you think all of this stuff is sick and depraved, you haven't seen anything yet. This is a different world. Among our small circle of friends, little things like rape, kidnapping, doggy fucking, stuff like that are everyday occurrences. Matter of course. Here, anything can happen and often does. All right, so as you can as you can um, hear, uh, the tape is pretty disturbing. He talks about a lot of different things. Like I said before, it's a forty minute long tape, so he talks about a lot of different things. Um, it's super. I don't even know. It's just really drawn out. Um, but just imagine being in the victim's shoes. You know, being like 
drugged and, and tied up to the gynecology chair and um, just like again he would play this tape right before he would um, start abusing and raping and um, torturing his victims so just imagine being a victim there and being totally um, not in control helpless scared out of your mind and listening to this tape like this is some sauce stuff right here actually it kind of reminded me of yeah Saul. that's what I thought about too right it's um, it's crazy stuff but um, so yeah so that was just a, a bit of the tape he so just continuing on, um, he wanted to see how effective his new tape was. So what he did was he kidnapped two different girls at different times to test it out. Uh, both were sex workers. Um, one he kept for four days and the other he kept for five days. He played the tape for both victims and they both broke down crying, overtaken with fear, uh, before he began torturing them in the ways he described in the tape. With both victims, he wrote about using new torture devices such as ankle wenches to widen their pelvis and simulate the pain of childbirth. Uh, and instruments of pain such as barbed wire, steel bra, a barbed wire steel bra, nipple screws, and weights. So, I mean, these are... He had, like, a lot of different toys and things, he instruments of torture, but, like, a barbed wire steel bra? Jesus Christ. Yeah, that was nuts. That's crazy. And yeah, nipple that's, screws? That's way too far. But then, uh, on the subject of nipple screws... You have some? No. <laughs> no, but uh, I was going to say, uh, and I only said that because you were about, you were about to say nipple screws again oh. <laughs> for the second time. <laughs> anyway, um, when, you re- when you list off that some of that stuff, I go back to what we had mentioned before or what I had mentioned before about, uh, you know, seeing uh, BDSM pornography. It's like uh, a lot of the stuff he had is stuff that I see people or have seen people like subject themselves to voluntarily all the time. Like, it's so the, like, I mean, not the barbed wire. I was going to say, not not that. I mean, for all I know, there is somebody who's down for that, but, um, (laughs) probably like the weights and the screws and all these other, a lot of other things. I'm like, it's so crazy. It's a bit of a, uh, I think a mind fuck is too extravagant of a term <laughs> to use, but yeah. I mean, it, it kind of weirds me out how I'm like, how, when I think about how, uh, a lot of the stuff, this sadistic, ruthless killer did is stuff that I've seen people subject themselves to voluntarily on a you know regular basis. And it's like, what? Like consensually. Yeah. It's just so weird. But see, yeah, yeah, it is weird for sure. But I mean, see, that's the thing. It's like some people, I mean, again, no judgment. If you're into that, you're into that. You're consenting. That's cool. Whatever. Do you do you. But yeah, yeah imagine it like it's hard for me to like picture like, I mean, like obviously I don't, I don't like pain. I, I hate pain. So, but like, yeah. so it's hard for me to even fathom like someone actually liking pain yeah. to like consenting to it. But then imagine someone who doesn't like pain having to be subjected to it against their will. It's just like extreme yeah. extremely but yeah the barbed wire thing the barbed wire bra i'd never heard of anything like that it's crazy um and then also like the whole widening the pelvis to make it simulate the childbirth experience that is just that's mental as fuck like yeah. that's crazy and so i mean just to clarify um when i when i say it's kind of kind of crazy or strange or peculiar that um you know, you see these things in in the case, but then you also see them in like just regular BDSM play. Um, you know, 
I'm not saying, uh, you know, I'm not like trying to kink shame anybody, uh, you know, anybody out there who is into some of those things, you know, they, um, you know, you do you, uh, not all kinks are for everyone. Um, and for some people kink is, uh, is, is they don't, they're not kinky at all, but, (laughs) but, uh, the, the thing that just kind of struck me, uh, as peculiar or even a little, for lack of better terms, trippy. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, there, it, there's like all these parallels between the two, uh, between the David Parker Ray, uh, the toy box versus like a actual BDSM dungeon, you know, where there's actual safe play and consent and whatnot. And the parallels I'm talking about is just like all the equipment and devices and the things that are being done and, I think that might even include the drugs <laughs> because well, yeah. some, you know, cause some people will, there is such a huge spectrum of kinks in the BDSM community that I wouldn't be surprised if some people are like, yeah, drug me up a little bit, you know? Cause I mean, there's even people who have like rape fantasies. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. And, um, so like there's all these parallels of, uh, of, of like set the sex machines, the bondage equipment, you know, the, the nipple clamps, uh, uh, all, all these different little things, the spreader bars and stuff. Like I remember, you know, watching one of the documentaries and seeing them holding one of the spreader bars that he had made, uh, for, for the legs and stuff. And I imagine someone from the outside looking in would see that and be like, Oh my God, that looks crazy. But Mm -hmm. then, you know, you could just go to like, adamandeve.com or something and buy a spreader bar like it's normal for some people um yeah so you know there's all these things that are the same and there's only one factor and this is why i it strikes me as peculiar is there's all these similarities but just one factor that divides the two and separates them and makes them worlds apart Mm -hmm. and you know that of course is consent you know uh in the in this case you know, non-consent is what makes it a crime, of course, yeah. but, you know, and then in a BDSM dungeon, you know, you have consent and you're practicing safety rules and, you know, if you're an asshole, you get kicked out, you know, it's yeah. like, uh, you know, in that case, I'm referring to like a public dungeon that people go to. Uh, mm-hmm. um, but anyway, uh, so that's, that's what I was trying to say. You know, there was no kink shaming or anything. I'm just saying like, it's kind of funny how all these things are the same and there's only one thing dividing the two. But yeah, it happens to be yeah the biggest a big thing, but yeah, yeah, it's a very big important thing. Yeah, you know, consent is huge, the, the number one thing when it comes to you know sexual interaction. Period. Period. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but that's especially all. Especially BDSM because yeah. it's yeah. like yeah, yeah, especially especially BDSM. BDSM. <laughs> yeah. And then you have like safe words and all and all that stuff, and that's they're there for a reason. Yeah. Obviously, what I was gonna say, uh, just to comment off piggyback off what you were saying, is that. Um, so I know that um, kind of like going down the list, they're pretty similar. Like it's crazy. Like you were saying, like like the nipple clamps, the and, – and there's like – well, there's – I mean everything. I mean there's so much more. Like I don't even know. I'm not a, technically a part of the BDSM community or anything like that. I, I know very little about it. Uh, I have friends who are in it. So I, I know there's a bunch of different like, you know, gadgets – Gadgets. I feel like I'm 50 years old. Uh, gadgets, devices. <laughs> All them gadgets. <laughs> All them gadgets. Doohickeys that you <laughs> hooked up to your private parts and stuff. Yeah, like I know there's all sorts of different toys and stuff that they use. Um, but what I was going to say is like uh, – and there are – the thing is that there are masochists. There are – is actually like 
a good amount of masochists out there who are part of the BDSM community. But again, like it's okay. And some of the things that, that they do or subject themselves to or ask their partners to do with them would be like from the outside looking in and like, Oh my God, like that's not like, is this legal? Like, is this okay? Like, should we help her or him? (laughs) But it's, it's, it is okay because it's consensual. And like those people sometimes oftentimes sign waivers or they like, yeah, they explicitly express their consent so that, their part them and their partner are okay there's no trouble there's no legal issues you know because they're masochists and they do enjoy getting pain you know feeling pain um yeah. subjected to that but one of uh, another thing i was going to say is i know like bdsm there's like a lot of different toys and stuff but like some of the toys that a lot of the toys that uh david parker ray had were definitely something you probably wouldn't you would never see in a bdsm community like the dildo with the nails sticking out oh yeah no yeah i forgot to mention that Severe. yeah no yeah <laughs> there's Actually, no, you wouldn't, you'd be surprised. <laughs> really? I mean, I wouldn't be, I mean, I haven't seen or heard of anyone doing, wanting something like that, but you just, if there's one thing I've learned after like looking more into BDSM is you just never know. That's why I was yeah, like, yeah, true. even the drug, dr- getting drugged up thing, like, which they discourage, by the way, uh, a lot of, uh, BDSM communities, uh, like I follow this BDSM advice page on Reddit mm-hmm. and, um, the BDSM community does discourage uh, getting involved in uh, BDSM play while you're under the influence of anything because it can be so dangerous. Yeah. But uh, I just wouldn't be surprised if somebody out there does say, fuck it, I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. Like, you know. Of course, yeah. Yeah, so. I mean, there's, yeah, there's all sorts of, t- there's like blood play. Oh, yeah, that's, oh, yeah. And actually, now that I think about it, the whole piercing your skin thing, I could definitely see that because, you know, how yeah. sometimes people pierce their skin, like, for fun. Like, yeah. uh, uh, they hang on hooks. I for- there's a whole, it's a whole art. Yeah. I forgot what yeah. it's called. But, uh, I, like, if they can do suspension. that. Suspension, yeah, but with, like. Which I've never really related to sexuality because I've seen it, like live before but I yeah mean, i guess some people could be in and that's like what that. i'm saying it's not it's not typically related to sexuality it's typically just yeah. related to like art and like body piercing yeah, or yeah, whatever yeah. which is cool or whatever it seems painful but uh, like hooks going into your back but i can totally see people like wanting to experiment with that in sex like in the bedroom like and uh well, i don't know i've never even thought of that mm-hmm. but now i'm now, you're now, I'm have, now I'm getting the images in my head like, God, what if somebody did want that? Because yeah. you do have bondage and suspension and, you know, sex swings and stuff. Uh, but you're normally when I talk about suspension, I mean like somebody being, you know, tied up in shibari rope bondage and hoisted. Hoist. Now you got me thinking of someone with fucking hooks in their back hanging from the ceiling. Yeah. Like it. God damn it. <laughs> it seemed like it's... Uh, it, I Again, no shame. Sorry, no shame. But... Well, no kink shame. It just but seems painful. Just, yeah, that's not that's not for me. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. But yeah, no, I'm glad like we could clear that up and just you know be specific that not kink shaming anyone. Um, in fact, I think some of us participate in BDSM, which is cool. But yeah, we just wanted to clarify that. Um, so, in 1994, he and his wife began having um, marital problems. He would later tell investigators about these marital issues, stating, "Quote." Joni Lee knew what I liked, but she wouldn't let me use her. She was jealous of the fantasy. We kind of drifted apart. Over the years, she got more and more crazy. She was having epilepsy attacks, and she started drinking real heavy. And one time, she held the pistol up to my head. I couldn't take it anymore. David and Joni Lee got divorced in 1994. 
Following their divorce, David sold his house in Phoenix and moved to Truth or Consequences, New Mexico, full-time. Because Truth or Consequences was a small town, there weren't a lot of mechanic positions open for David, so he got a job as a park ranger for the Elephant Butte State Park. To interject something real quick, because um, about where he was living at the time, um, I believe in the tapes he does uh, mention that he's like surrounded by wood like go ahead and try to escape not worried about you escaping because we're surrounded by woods there's nowhere for you to go but then uh, remember earlier I told you um, the same YouTuber Mike the Rat Guy did a video where he takes you to Google Earth uh, uses Google Earth to show you um, David Parker Ray's uh, estate where he was living at the time. Yeah. Um, and it allows you to Google earth apparently allows you to backtrack, uh, images years and years prior. So if you look up David Ray's, um, home on Google earth and go all the way far back as you can, which at the time that, uh, that YouTuber made the video, it could go as far back as 1996. I don't know if it still can, but, um, he shows you in the picture there's no there's there's no woods anywhere yeah in TRC in New Mexico yeah there's no forests or woodsy areas anywhere so was David Ray just being manipulative manipulative and lying or did he record these tapes somewhere else and that's what I've been trying to figure out this whole time like when I told you I'm like I'm like paying attention to you but I'm also like looking around on Google Maps yeah is because I've been trying to figure out where on the timeline because he supposedly made those tapes in 93 yep and I was trying to figure out where was he living in 93 and apparently he was between TRC and Phoenix Phoenix yeah and I was trying to figure out where could he have possibly been uh where these tapes were made because again uh they couldn't find any bodies because they were mainly just looking around through the consequences but he lived everywhere, and I'm thinking wherever he made these tapes might be where you could find some bodies. Um, and I don't know, the closest thing I can think of is uh, in Phoenix, uh, there are some foresty natural areas nearby that don't look like they're too far of a drive away, but then again, there's also some in very close to T or C as well, uh, truth or consequences as well. So I don't know, like maybe he had like a cabin somewhere. I don't know. Uh, he never, there's never been mentioned of something like that before. Yeah. But I don't know, just in the video of the guy who, sh- with where the guy takes you to Google earth and stuff, he raises that question and I'm like trying to like figure it out, you know? Mm. Yeah. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, I never uh, even thought about it to be honest because it's like wherever that happened, you might find bodies like might, but by yeah. now, I think he was already proficient enough that even if you knew where those tapes were recorded, maybe you still wouldn't find anything. Yeah, that's true. Especially, what, almost 30 years later, decomposition, yada, yada, you know. True. Erosion of the earth where they were buried, like. I think anything's possible, but I tend to think, just my personal opinion, I think that he's probably, he's probably lying. Just um, like you said, he liked to torture them physically but also mentally yeah so he's probably just trying to like literally just give them no hope like beat all hope out of them mentally just like look even if you get out which you're not but even if you get out there's nowhere for you to go we're surrounded by forest even if he was lying you know what i mean that's my opinion but maybe not who knows um 
But yeah, so that that is crazy. Then again, it was a blatant lie that there was nothing around them because he had them in his trailer, which is right out back in the middle of a neighborhood. Mm-hmm. That's another thing we take notice of in that Google Earth video is all this shit was happening and like in literally every direction, north, south, east, west, there's a neighbor living right next door to this stuff happening. Yeah. And no one knew what was going on. Or at least See, we think they that, were. Exactly. That's why people, that's why the theory is like, dude, people were probably involved in it. Multiple people probably knew and didn't. I mean, again, these are all theories, but there's just, I mean, who really knows, right? It's just crazy to think about. Yeah. So much goes into it. That's where you, uh, you tend to fall into like conspiracy theory holes. With uh, other, which could just other go topics, on for fucking ever too. Yeah, they could. Uh, it's like, well, what if this, what if this, anything's, because we, because we know nothing. Everything is a possibility. A possibility, yeah. God. Which is crazy, but um, yeah. So okay, because so then he moved to Truth the Consequences full time um, because it was a small town. There weren't a lot of mechanic positions open, so he got a job as a park ranger for the Elephant Butte State Park. This job gave him an official government uniform and allowed him to travel all over the park, including some of the more secluded areas of the park. This provided him with more opportunities and areas for him to dispose of bodies. Yeah. So, again, there's no proof, but we're just saying, like, he had the opportunity to. Yeah. Because he had this access. Um, Which, I don't know, were there any trees there? Was it foresty? Because it's a park? I don't know. No. uh, I mean, if you see footage of Elephant Butte Lake, it's like, or the park, it looks pretty... With the exception of some, like, grassy areas and a few trees here and there near the water, like, it looks pretty, like, much like desert land. Desert, yeah. Yeah. Throughout 1995, David Parker Ray abducted at least three different women, all relatively young of age. He had added medical supplies and medical textbooks to his toy box trailer to help him keep his victims alive for as long as possible. That is so messed up. Um, Yeah. He also installed two different drawers, each about the size of a coffin. He could put a woman in each box and store them under a bench. This made it possible for him to capture two different women at the same time and hold them both hostage for longer periods of time than he could before. He didn't only like to torture his victims physically, but also psychologically. Having the coffin-sized boxes to hold the women hostage increased their fear as they waited in the dark, never knowing when he would come back to torture them. Likewise, if he had two women at once, then one victim could hear the scream and cries of pain of the second victim, thus giving the first victim even more fear. All psychological, right? Yeah. That's really messed up. But, yeah. Um, David had started... uh, I don't even... It's just so random, I don't know why. But, uh, just, I guess, random note. David had started taking uh, Viagra. Oh, yeah, to help him. To help him, yeah. yeah. I heard about that. As well. Yeah. Like, it's like his his fantasies and his urges were still there, but he was getting older, so... Incompetent, yeah. 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 Oh, impotent. I'm impotent, sorry. yeah. I was like, I com- mean... I mean... <laughs> I mean <laughs> both. It's debatable on whether or not he was incompetent, because he let a lot of shit slide, but, I mean, he was also really smart, I don't know. Right. Uh, but, yeah, <laughs> impotent, apparently that's undeniable, and many accounts say he was on the little blue pill. Yeah, right? Yeah, so he started taking Viagra to help increase and maintain his sexual appetite, you know, or keep up with his sexual appetite, especially, you know, when his old age got in the way. Um, On July 25th, a 23-year-old woman by the name of Kelly Van Cleave was hanging out with her friend at the Blue Water Saloon. She had gone to the bar after getting in a fight with her husband. 
Kelly was supposed to be the designated driver for her friend that night. So she didn't have anything to drink, but her friend ended up leaving and took the car. Kelly was fond of staying behind, however, because it gave her more time to hang out with her friends and catch up. Um, And her good friend, Jesse Ray, had already offered to give her a ride home anyway. Which I've always found that part of the story baffling because, like, she gave someone a ride just earlier. Right. So then why did she need a ride home? And according to her testimony, she didn't drink a lot that night, but I think... She, I can't remember if it was her or somebody else that was like, I think uh, Jesse drugged me or something. Mm. I can't remember. I keep recalling that from somebody. It's but quite possible. Wrong. Um, like, why did she need it? But then again, it was also a small, small town. So it's possible she may have just like taken her friend home, parked at her house, and then walked back to the bar. Like, I mean, super small ass town. I mean, yeah. why not? True. Maybe she didn't live too far away from there, but she was too... Again, she wasn't drinking a lot. So I don't know. Why did she need a ride from Jesse in the first place? Still baffles me. I don't know. Maybe they took her friend's car, you know? Like, maybe she drove, but they took her friend's car, and then her friend was like, yeah, I'm fine to drive myself. Just left the Uh, car. Yeah. Possibility, you know? Um, So, yeah, so she was going to hitch a ride with Jesse Ray, so it was cool. And they're friends, obviously. Um, so Kelly climbed on the back of Jesse's motorcycle and Jesse took, um, took off. Uh, but she noticed they passed the road that she was supposed to turn on to take, um, Kelly back to her house. So Kelly, you know, yells at Jesse and yelling only because they're on the back of a motorcycle. So, you know, yeah. um, says, Hey, like, I think you're lost. Like we just missed my turn. She's like, Oh no, I'm a little tipsy. I I need to go home to just get some coffee to help me kind of like wake up out of this, right? Yeah. Some BS excuse. So Jesse, for those of you who may have forgotten or anything, Jesse is uh, David Parker Ray's daughter. So Jesse took her back to her dad's house. And has actually assisted him before, right? Yeah. She's assisted him before in other, in other yeah. abductions and, and uh, I believe murders. But yeah, for sure abductions. Yeah. Um, so she took Kelly back to her dad's house, claiming that, you know, she just needed to have a quick cup of coffee Kind of sober up a little bit, which that's even a myth. Coffee doesn't make you sober. Time does. Anyway, Jesse told Kelly to have a seat on the couch, and Kelly obliged as Jesse went into the other room. Then, from the other room, David Parker Ray came running out, holding a long knife, uh, and he held it to Kelly and threatened her, saying, You're mine now, and you'd better get used to it. Then, Jesse came back from the other room, holding a dog collar and handcuffs. Jesse began clamping these around Kelly's neck and wrists, which completely shocked Kelly. Um, They led Kelly out of the house and into the toy box trailer, holding the knife to her throat. The sight of the inside of the toy box torture chamber terrified Kelly. Um, A sign hung from the room, or hang, I guess, right? A sign hang in the room that said, Welcome to Satan's Den, which is a very famous sign, obviously. like A lot of people know that, right? Um, yeah, welcome to Satan's Den. There were also uh, hand-drawn depictions of torture mechanisms plastered all over the walls. Kelly saw, ra- um, sorry, Kelly saw racks lined with torture devices designed to tear people's skin and stretch their insides. Um, David and his daughter Jesse forced Kelly into the chair and strapped her down. Um, they attached bars and cuffs to her ankles, then raised her legs and spread them apart. David took a knife and cut off all of her clothes, leaving Kelly completely naked. 
David went to his video camera and hit record and then soon after began playing his tape for Kelly. The next few days were a blur for Kelly. She remembers being repeatedly abused, but the most traumatizing thing for her was when David repeatedly tried using oversized dildos on her. Uh, he claimed he had stolen her for the sake of a satanic ritual, or yeah, he claimed he had stolen her for the sake of a satanic ritual group he was a part of. So that's kind of like what you were saying that he he had said that he was part of a satanic group. Yeah, and uh, apparently. He kidnapped her for a satanic ritual. One of the interesting things I read in my research is that Kelly actually has a like a rare medical condition where her uterus is. Um, oh yeah, back, was it like upside down or backwards or something? Um, I think it was actually, for lack of better, more accurate terms, like inside out. Like yeah, it was kind of like it wasn't formed correctly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, that that's why every time she would. Um, he would put the dildos in her. He would try to put them all the way, but it wouldn't make it wouldn't her, work. It wouldn't work, and she would scream way too loud. And apparently, he hated that. He hated the noise. That's why he would sedate them so heavily. Mm. Um, and uh, like he didn't even want them talking. You know, wow. uh, he had like punishments for them when they would talk. Like I recall him even saying that. Uh, well, no, that wasn't for talking. But I was going to mention that he has on more than one occasion talked about like cutting a woman's nipples off Jesus I think one time it may have been for talking too much but I know one time was also because like she bit him or something wow anyway um, um, something I was going to mention earlier when you talked about the camera um, he didn't just have a monitor for himself apparently he had another monitor set up uh, so that the victim could see everything that's being done to her. Right, a TV yeah. Yeah, at the end yeah. of the... Yeah, he did. At the end of the trailer, he did have a TV that was pointed... Essentially, it saw what the camera was seeing. Yeah. So it's crazy, very crazy. I mean, he, like, really... He really tortured people, like you said, like, physically and mentally. So back on the, the medical condition. So essentially, I, I forgot what the specifics were, but essentially, like, her uterus was kind of, like, almost at a weird position to where... Whenever she would have sex, because, like, she was actually married, right? She'd... That's right. I'm getting my details mixed up. Yeah. Uh, her that's uterus... right. I read, in the, I read in the book that actually her and her husband were having uh, issues, because they weren't married for very long by the time this was, ha- this was happening. Yeah, they were newlyweds, yeah. Uh, they were newlyweds. Her and her husband were having marital issues, uh, and one of the biggest issues was their sex life, because uh, every time he would try to be intimate with her and have intercourse, they he couldn't it would just hurt her a lot. Uh, and that's why, because they later found out that she had that condition. Yep. So my bad, David Ray didn't even know anything about that. Or he didn't give a fuck. Probably. Um, he probably just went with it. Well, yeah. yeah so the interesting thing is when I was reading it. So yeah, so she had the medical condition. So obviously sex for her in general was painful. So yeah. and he would try to insert the oversized dildos into her, you were correct with what you were saying. He wasn't able to fully insert it in her because of her uterus being misplaced or like weirdly positioned. Yeah. So he would, he got very angry at that. He was like, well, if I can't, if I can't fully insert this dildo in you, then you're no use to me and my satanic group. Yeah. And if you're no use to me, then I have no problem getting rid of you. She, she said, she recounts this. Yeah. Uh, and so she was obviously scared for her life and all this stuff because, you know, she doesn't know what's again, like she didn't even know what was wrong with her in terms of medical, you know, Medical yeah, condition. I didn't find out until years later. Right. So for the next three days, Kelly said she remembered, you know, David torturing her at least six separate times. 
Um, David then inserted a needle into her arm and sent drugs coursing through her system, um, which led to Kelly blacking out. The next thing Kelly remembers is David pushing her out of his vehicle. By the time she gained consciousness, she was on a random street in front of a random house she didn't recognize. Her head was pounding immensely. Uh, David grabbed her arm and led her to the house's front door. He knocked, and Kelly's husband and family answered. Kelly's family looked angry and shocked and asked where she had been. She told them she couldn't remember, and then they accused her of running away to be with another man. At this point, David cut into the conversation and said that he had found her wandering around the lake, clearly drugged and out of her mind. Uh, they, were in, they were furious. I mean, that was half right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, true, true, <laughs> yeah, true. She was drugged out of her mind, but she wasn't just run, walking around the lake. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so the family, once, she, once he told him this, the family was, like, furious with her and turned her away, claiming that they were going to file for divorce, which is, like, horrible. Like, imagine just going through that. Yeah, that. going through all of that. And actually, I mean, she could barely remember any of that because of the drugs. Yep. And so she's just coming out of, like, this crazy haze wondering where am I what's going on what just happened why can't I remember anything what day is it it's been three days like I don't even remember the last three days or was it five was she with them for five she was with them for five yeah I think it was five and it was for, for five days I don't know why you're angry at me I don't know what's going on and now all of a sudden my marriage is over what is happening yeah you know yeah tragic and if I remember correctly and you're probably gonna read this but um because they turned her away and wanted nothing to do with her, David basically had to give her a ride somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. did. Um, he dropped yeah, her off pretty at much a friend's house. Dropped yeah, dropped her off at a friend's house. She went yeah. back with David because she she didn't really remember anything and yeah. she had nowhere to go. So he he dropped her off somewhere, which is so weird to think about. Yeah. Um, but in the next few years, Kelly had a very hard time trying to remember what happened, and she wasn't sure she wasn't sure what had really happened and. Um, obviously, she didn't report the incident because she, she couldn't didn't trust know what was going on. Right, she and she proceed, proceeded to just have like nightmares of the event, but couldn't put the pieces together. So she didn't even realize that those nightmares were real events in her life. She yeah. thought they were just random things coming to her, and she couldn't understand why she was having these dreams until finally the case broke and she started putting it all together. Yep, exactly. But anyway, yeah. Um, so yeah, like you said, like she she thought they were she would have these vivid kind of like you would think like flashback type of things, but she thought it was just like nightmares, like reoccurring nightmares, um, and she couldn't trust her memory. So of course she's not going to report that. You know, yeah. she thinks it's his dream. So Kelly just chalked it up to you know long and disturbing dream and tried to just move on and forget about it. Kelly was the first known victim to survive David Parker Ray's um, sadistic torture. After the abduction of Kelly, David Parker Ray continued his sinister routine of kidnap, rape, and torture, uh, except this time he would have two new accomplices assisting him. David and Jesse met a 36-year-old woman who just moved to Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. Her name was Cynthia Hindi, or Cindy Hindi for short. Uh, she moved to New Mexico to escape drug charges in Washington and had just exited an abusive relationship. Cindy and David began dating um, very soon after they first met, and around that time, Cindy met a 24-year-old man by the name of Dennis Roy Yancey. Dennis apparently had an extensive record of vandalism, uh, frequently got into bar fights, and was suspected of murdering another man his age. As David, as David, Cindy, and Dennis all began spending more time together, they realized they all had 
uh, the same great interest in sexual sadism. David took Cindy and Dennis to his toy box and showed them what his essentially showed him his creation, like what he yeah, what he made. He had made in there. Yeah, we don't know how many murders or criminal acts these two assisted in, um, but we do know the name of at least one of their victims. So, in the early months of 1997, Dennis Yancey had briefly dated a 22-year-old woman named Marie B. Parker, who was a mother of two young girls, but she also had a severe drug addiction. Marie liked Dennis at first, but he began to treat her badly, so she broke up with him. Uh, Dennis took this personally and decided she needed to be taught a lesson. He convinced David to help him abduct her and make her their their next sex slave. Um, on July 5th, 1997, Marie Parker went missing. Her friends reported her disappearance to the police, but were unable to track her or do anything more than keep her file open. So, you know, police's hands, they couldn't really do anything other than just keep a, a missing person's report, you know? Yeah. Um, Marie Parker was locked up in David Ray's toy box, and David, Cindy, and Dennis all took turns torturing and abusing her for days, possibly even weeks. We're still unsure. When they were finished abusing her, David ordered Dennis to kill her and dispose of her body. Dennis strangled Marie, drove her dead body to the middle of the desert, and buried her. Her body was never recovered. Over the next two years, David, Jesse, Cindy, and Dennis abducted and tortured an unknown number of women. Uh, so that's like one, two, three. That's four people. That's four people in this little like group of just like rapists and murderers just doing yeah. it together. That's crazy, you know? Yeah, and those are the ones they know of. And I'm right. starting to think like maybe that's like the inner circle, but they do have like a bigger group possibly. Yeah, I think there's definitely more because remember if we what we talked about earlier, there was a there was a, a, a crime where he had an unknown accomplice. Remember he said he shared the two girls when he had abducted the two girls? Yeah. So he's definitely had more people involved. It's just crazy to me that yeah, I just don't know. I just don't know how people could get involved in that stuff, you know? It's like, it makes you think, like, man, is truth or consequences, like, that shitty of a town? Like, it just got people... Well, with- uh, to my understanding, um, small towns, you know, nothing against the small town folks that are, you know, upright and good people, but uh, supposedly small towns are kind of a magnet for people who are, you know... You know, criminals, ex, you know, ex-convict, or just people who are, I don't know why I said ex-convicts, that wasn't what I meant to say. Um, But yeah, just like people who are living on the edge of the law, is that a term? I don't know. Basically, criminal activity goes nuts in small towns because people feel like it's easier to seclude themselves and go unnoticed. It's a quiet place, you know, nobody's really going to blow the whistle on them for... Uh, for anything suspicious, I don't know. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't know. I'm, I feel like I'm wording this completely wrong. <laughs> but my <laughs> point is, is that they gravitate to areas like that because they're trying to get away from something. Like Cindy Hendy herself wound up running away to truth or consequences because she um, escaped had, drug charges. Yeah, she was trying to escape drug charges in what was it, Washington? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know they had sold like what was it like. Crack or cocaine, some sort of. Know. I don't even remember what drugs. So basically, they did a drug deal, and it turned out they were doing the deal with uh, with an undercover cop. 
So she had drug charges against her, and she was said, "Fuck that amount," and just ran to New Mexico. Wow! Uh, and instead of moving, and you know, running in the direction of New Mexico, you could move to you know Albuquerque, um, but or a bigger city. But no, they move. They gravitate to small towns because they figure it's an easier place to lay low and hide, which I find is kind of a funny um, mentality when you would think a big city would right. be an easier place to hide because there's so many people it makes it harder to find you but I don't know yeah I've never lived in a small town so I don't know <laughs> that's true that's true <laughs> uh, David and Cindy's next known abduction occurred on February 17th 1999 when David was nine sorry I was gonna say 99 <laughs> okay, <laughs> not 99 59 David and Cindy were friends with a woman named Angelica Mon- Montano um, who was wanting to bake a cake for her boyfriend's birthday. Cindy and David told Angelica that they had cake mix they weren't using back at their trailer. They offered to give uh, the mix to Angelica if she wanted to come by and pick it up. Angelica graciously accepted the offer because she had known the couple for a good amount of time and had no reason to, you know, no reason not to trust them. As soon as Angelica got inside their house to retrieve the cake mix, David pulled out his knife and held it to her throat. He threatened her and told her that she was being taken hostage. At first, she thought her friends were simply playing a prank on her, so she left. David then punched her full force in the stomach. Uh, David and Cindy removed Angelica's clothes, brought her to a bedroom in the house, and chained her to the bed. They forced her to take drugs and listen to David's recording. They then raped and tortured her for two days. Um, Then they took her to the toy box where they escalated their violence and tortured her with electrocution. Angelica was chained to the gynecological. Uh, I always have trouble with this word. Angelica was chained gynecological. Yeah, <laughs> Angelica was chained to the gynecological chair for three days. She began to lose all hope, and in the last effort to try and escape, she actually started to pretend that she enjoyed the torture. On the fifth day of her captivity, David was torturing her on his own, without Cindy, and Angelica told him that she had enjoyed their time together but asked if he would let her go soon because she said she had uh, two boys who were probably wondering where she was, and she promised David that she wouldn't tell a soul about what they'd done, since, after all, she enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. In an absolutely crazy and shocking turn of events, David told Angelica that she's always been a nice lady, and he decided to let her go. Yeah, That's insane to me. What? Uh, Cindy strongly disagreed with this decision and told David that if he let her go, she would definitely go to the police and, you know, essentially get them caught. David, however, stood his ground and, um, that was that. On Sunday, February 21st, David and Cindy cleaned Angelica, clothed her, and drove her miles down the highway. They let her out on the side of the highway and then drove away. Angelica was in total shock. Um, she hits... Yeah, Angelica was in total shock. She, she couldn't believe she was free. Uh, she hitched a ride with an off-duty deputy by the name of Gary Leva. Uh, she told this deputy everything of how she had been abducted and held hostage by her own friends. She told him that, you know, she'd been tortured, raped, and abused, and that they let her go. The officer saw that she was high, clearly high on some sort of drug, um, but she was high because of the drugs that David and Cindy had forced her to take. Yeah. Um, so because that she appeared high to him, he dismissed her accusations and didn't believe her. He was just like, oh, this chick is just, 
she's just high on something. I can't believe her accusations. But like we talked yeah. about in the first episode, that's still not a reason, to, in my opinion, to just dismiss it. You know, like you got to do your job, yeah. you know, yeah. um, got to take a statement, got to look into it. Don't just. Yes. Don't just be like, ah, she's just crazy, drugged up, and just drop her off somewhere. Exactly. This, yeah. to me, is just comes across as pure, like, lazy laziness on his part and just, uh, yeah, just not really caring, which is, it sucks, it's sad. People continue to get hurt because of that. But um, on March 20th, 1999, David Parker Ray and Cindy Hindi drove to Albuquerque with the express purpose of picking up a sex worker. They quickly picked up a woman by the name of Cindy Vigil. When Vigil entered their RV, Cindy jumped out of the bathroom and electrocuted Vigil with a stun baton. Um, the crazy instruments these people had, it's freaking nuts. Like, yeah. Even like, get that stun baton. Uh, they handcuffed her wrists together. I mean, you don't have a subscription to stun batons weekly? <laughs> I do not. <laughs> I do not. They handcuffed her wrists together and locked her in a wooden box. They drove her all the way back to David's home in Truth or Consequences, 150 miles away from where they originally abducted her. Once there, the couple led her to their bedroom, strapped her to the bed, and locked a metal dog collar around her neck. They attached the chain of the collar to the wall and played the introduction tape. Vigil was terrified, obviously. Uh, she remembers praying to God and asking him to either provide her with a mean of escape or allow her to die quickly. For the next two days, David and Cindy raped and tortured Vigil while keeping her chained to the bed and the collar around her neck never came off. On March 22, 1999, after a round of rape and torture, David loosened her chains a little bit because they were planning to actually take her to the toy box later that day, so they allowed her for her chains to be relatively loose. Around midday, David had decided to go to the store to get some supplies for the for the fun that they had planned for that night. Um, quotations. Yeah, quotations. Fun. Fun. Uh, End quote. David left, leaving Cindy to watch over V-Hill. Cindy left the room to watch TV, leaving V-Hill chained to her post with her collar still on. V-Hill could hear the TV going on in the other room. She looked around, searching for anything... Uh, she looked around searching for any possible method of escape. She then saw, miraculously, that Cindy had left the keys to her locks sitting on the top of a bedside table next to Vigil. Um, in an act of desperation, Vigil stretched as far as she could to try and reach the keys. She was in a great deal of pain being chained up and having to stretch her body so far to reach it. But after minutes of pain and stretching, uh, Vigil finally was able to grab the keys. She quickly unlocked her limbs and tried to unlock the collar around her neck. However, the lock was a different size, so she couldn't actually get it off. However, when she looked up, she saw that the lock attaching the chain to the wall was the same size as all the others. So she tried the key, and somehow it worked, because it was the same size. So Vigil sprinted from the room that she was originally chained in, sprinted from the room um, with her collar still attached to her neck and the chain dragging on the ground. She sprinted in the room to the main room, but quickly saw Cindy Hindi sitting on the couch, directly blocking the front door, which was her only exit. Um, and Cindy leaped to her feet immediately and started screaming and grabbed a, uh, grabbed a lamp. Uh, thinking swiftly and on her feet, uh, Vigil looked around and saw an ice pick on the table. So she quickly grabbed it. But by the time she grabbed it, Cindy like crashed the lamp against her head, like just like hit her with the lamp and it, the lamp broke. 
Um, the lamp put like a big bloody gash in Vigil's forehead, but fueled by adrenaline and you know the hopes of escape, Vigil was she's like she wasn't even affected by it. Like she wasn't slowed down. Like bionic woman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Real life Wonder Woman here, to be honest. Um, she wasn't slowed down by the blow. She jumped at Cindy and drove the pick, the ice pick, into the back of Cindy's neck. Uh, Cindy fell to the ground in pain and stunned by the wound. Vigil then ran out the front door and began running full speed down the road, completely naked, wearing nothing but blood and her dog collar. She still had locked around. Um, yeah, completely naked, wearing nothing but blood and her dog collar. She still had wrapped around her neck. She kept spraying down the road, bloody and naked, screaming at the top of her lungs for help. Uh, several neighbors in their houses saw this happening and called the police from inside their homes, but did not open the door to her when she passed by their house, banging on their door and pleading for help. Which sounds sounds messed up, but at the same time, like, you never know nowadays. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it could be... Like, you got to think about it from someone who's kind of like... From like a... I don't even want to say like paranoid perspective, but from someone who's just very cautious. Yeah. It could be like, well, I don't know who this person is. Like, they could try to rob me or be part of a... Because, you know, you yeah. see those people like that abduct people and they use like a lady to like lure people. Yeah. You hear stories like that and you're like, okay, I can understand why these people would be hesitant to open the door to this stranger who's chained and bloodied, you know? Yeah. So I don't really blame them. At least they call the cops, but it still kind of sucks, obviously. Yeah. You know I mean? uh, finally, V Hill reached a house that belonged to an elderly couple. Um, so she began panning, uh, pounding on the door, yelling, pleading for help. Uh, the couple opened the door and, you know, immediately took her in when they saw, like, the condition she was in. They allowed her to hide out in their house while they called the police um, until the police got there. Um, so she waited in that house for the police to arrive. When police finally arrived, V. Hill told them everything that had happened to her. And the police immediately put the word out to search for David and bring him into custody. Police found David and Cindy searching the roads for V Hill. So they, they were like not even trying to get away. They were just trying to look for her. Somewhere. Yeah. They were trying to track her down try to, so that they can hopefully snag her before, yeah. uh, before she reaches anybody. Exactly. So too late. go ahead. I said too late, too late. Yeah. Which is good. Uh, they found David and Cindy. Yeah. Searching for V Hill. So they arrested him on the spot. Finally, 59 year old David Parker Ray and his 45 year 45-year reign of sadism and terror met its end. After retrieving search warrants, police found David Ray's horrifying tour box, his audio recordings, and a single videotape of him sexually abusing a woman with a very distinct tattoo. It was later determined that the woman being abused in the videotape was none other than Kelly Van Cleve. At this point, she had moved away to California and had spent the past three years believing her disturbing memories were just nightmares. Kelly was petrified to discover that it was actually her in the videotape. Um, Kelly, along with the other survivors, Angelica and V. Hill, were key witnesses in bringing David Parker Ray down. Um, so I think you probably know how Kelly was able to kind of be involved in the, the investigation. I think she wasn't she watching like a... I think she was watching, if I, if I remember correctly, she was watching like a, was it like America's Most Wanted? No, maybe it's not. No, it wasn't that. Yeah. because like, <laughs> no, he was captured. Yeah. She was watching um, something. Yeah. Um, it was, according to one of the documentaries, uh, the FBI was, you know, searching David's, uh, David's, uh, 
property and they came across all the tapes, started watching all the tapes. Um, and even though according to some of the research and reports that he had lots of tapes of, of his torture, according to this documentary, only one tape really like gave them anything uh, substantial. And that was the tape that had Kelly, uh, Kelly Van Cleve Garrett. Like I was calling her Kelly Garrett earlier, but I think that's because she remarried. Mm-hmm. So they've been calling her Carrie, Kelly Garrett. Um, but yeah, I think some of those, some of the information you got is actually part of the book. And anyway, that's all, that's all unnecessary crap. <laughs> anyway, my point is uh, that the FBI saw in the video there was the woman uh, had a tattoo, and it wasn't very wasn't very visible, mm-hmm. but they could see that it was there. Uh, it just wasn't clear as to what it was. So they like had, uh, some like forensics, um, department, like enhance the video, uh, which how they were able to get such an accurate enhancement is beyond me. Like that technology must've been rowdy even in the late nineties. Um, because when you see the clip of the video in this documentary, you're like, how did you even get yeah. that uh how did you even manage to to get those details of the tattoo with how jacked up this video looks but anyway nevertheless they they uh got the details of the tattoo and posted it um on television saying we are investigating this uh case and if anyone knows anything about this person who has this tattoo please come forward and uh, apparently it was a unique hand-drawn tattoo that according to Kelly, nobody else could possibly have. So she knew it was her. Mm-hmm. And that's when she was like putting the piece, putting two and two together, her nightmares and this report, she knew exactly, she knew it was her yeah. and she knew what was, she was starting to realize what happened. So she, you know, packed up, went to New Mexico and got involved in the case. Uh, well, you know, yeah. In the investigation, I should say. Yeah. Um, thank God she did. part of the case. Yeah. Thank God she did because she was like one of the key witnesses in bringing him down. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's crazy how, how she was able to f- essentially see herself on TV and yeah. just realize like, oh shoot. That's well, she shouldn't see herself. I don't think they would have shown the video on well, TV. Yeah. But I Her mean, leg, they, showed the, they showed the enhanced photo of the tattoo. Right. And she's like, that's my tattoo. True. Yeah. Yeah. After investigators uh, interrogated Cindy Hindi, she confessed to them that David had bragged to her about killing all sorts of women, including his first murder when he was 15, um, killing his old business partner, which is Billy Bowers. There's a, see, I told you he, he, had, com- he had confessed. Confessed. There you go. Yeah. And uh, ordered, and uh, she said that he had ordered Dennis Yancey to kill Murray Parker. Police immediately arrested Yancey, and he admitted to killing Murray Parker and also admitted in assisting David with several other abductions and tortures. During the investigation, police began searching for evidence and the bodies of any victims they could possibly find. They searched David's yard and property and Elephant Butte Lake, but never found anything. The only body that they ever found was that of Billy Bowers, but the only evidence they had linking David Ray to Bowers' murder was purely circumstantial. Because of all the lack of physical evidence and due to no bodies ever being recovered, David Parker Ray was never convicted of murder. However, because there were three living victims who had survived his torture, David was tried for every other horrific and despicable act he had committed. 
When investigators entered David Parker Ray's toy box, they found all sorts of crazy torture devices and weird imagery and essentially papers plastered all over the walls. For instance, he had a sign that said, The Lure of Satanism. And right below the sign was a long black robe with a red cape and a Barbie doll wrapped in chains. Just weird, bizarre stuff, right? Yeah. Um, There was also two fake skulls nearby with, with candles, so... Not really sure what that was about. Maybe he was just trying to, like, invoke fear in his victims. Yeah. Um, I know he claims to be part of a satanic cult or whatever. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, so he had that. Uh, Police also found a clipboard with a list of names. And alongside of the list was, um, you know, like the – or a list of the tallies, the tally marks, like you were saying. Yeah. Um, And let's see. Alongside of the list was also a paper that contained some words of encouragement for David while he was committing his torture and cruel acts. So this thing is pretty crazy. So he literally had like a, you know how like a, a like a workplace, like for those who work in like a traditional workplace, like a business yeah. office or something. Yeah. People usually have like your boss will have like encouragement words. That's like, okay. I integrity. was afraid to say it, What? but you're saying it. So go on. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's like your bosses have like words of encouragement. It's like, Integrity, There's what integrity. And like the inspiration, inspiration. teamwork, teamwork, yeah, exactly. Like yeah. all those cheesy, corny, yeah. like, like encouragement, quote unquote, like encouragement, like pictures or whatever. Uh, well, David Parker had his own version of this plastered on his yeah. his wall. Um, and actually, I'm going to read it for you. The paper read the uh, <laughs> paper reads as follows: Remember, a woman will do or say anything to get loose. Oh yeah, that. they will kick, scratch. Offer money, bite, yell, beg, scream, run, offer sex, threaten, lie, wait for opportunity. Standard excuses are sob stories, menstruating, pregnant, venereal disease, AIDS, kids with babysitter, have to work, a sick baby, a sick parent, claustrophobia, miss their husband or friend, bad heart, can't miss school, don't let her get to you. If she is worth taking, she is worth keeping. And she must be subjected to hypnosis before the woman can be safely released. Never trust a chained captive. That's word for word what, what the yeah. meeting said. Yeah. I don't know how much they were able to release in the very first trial. Because he was tried several times to get all the charges, uh, you know, convicted. Uh, get him convicted for all the charges. But and I'm not sure how much is released on the first one. But when I think of like all the evidence they collected, it's like, how did that jury not come into agreement that he had done what they were accusing him of? I don't even know, man. I don't even. I didn't even know that that a jury found him innocent or any one of the jury had. Well, it's not that they found him innocent. It was it was that they couldn't come to a unanimous vote, yeah. and that's what the judge had called for. It had to be unanimous. That's crazy. I don't, you know, I don't get that for sure. But that, that little... I mean, God forbid he say major, majority vote and it turns out the majority say innocent. That would have been fucking crazy. Yeah. Yeah, hands down. Um, yeah, so he had, he had those <laughs> a word of encouragement or whatever. Um, I always saw that as like that was just his rules. Like when you say words of encouragement at the... I was thinking something actually encouraging to me. That was the way it was always described to me, uh, in the, or the way I read it in the book. I mean, um, it was always just his rules for, uh, his, 
his rules for having a captive. Mm. You know, I never thought of it as words of encouragement. I mean, yeah. it kind of is though. Like if you're, I mean, it could be either one. Cause like if you, I mean, I don't know. I can't even pretend to like get in his mind, but if you're like torturing someone, I'm sure you have moments of weakness where you're just like, you know, like, you know, maybe I should let her go or maybe I should stop this or whatever, you know? Actually, that's not a bad point. I, I see it. I, from that perspective, I, I can see it now how it was like, uh, I wouldn't say encouragement, but more like a motivator, like, or, or how to stay focused on what he was there to do. Yeah. You know, uh, basically reminding himself, like, remember, she's yep. going to do this, she's going to do that, but don't let it get to you. Like, exactly. Uh, yeah. That, I guess, yeah, that's really what it is. Just like kind of like a, just like words of affirmation essentially to like reaffirm him like, Hey, yeah, yeah. Don't forget, like you got to do this and this is why we do this. Um, after two years worth of trials and investigations on September 20th, 2001, David Parker Ray was found guilty on several accounts of kidnapping, assault, rape, unlawful sexual penetration, and a massive list of other crimes. He was sentenced sentenced to 224 years in prison on may 28 2002 the first official day of his prison sentence technically he was placed in a holding cell to wait while his paperwork was processed after only a few minutes of sitting in the prison david parker ray had a massive heart attack and died instantly his daughter jesse ray only served two and a half years in prison and was given five years on probation this was because david parker ray accepted a plea deal that he would plead guilty to all charges if his daughter Jesse went free with time served. Dennis Yancey accepted a plea deal and was released on parole in 2011 and is currently a free man living in truth or consequences. He moved back. Uh, Cindy Hindi... Wait a minute, they never... Didn't he confess... Didn't he confess to murdering Marie Parker? Yeah, he did. He served time. How much did he serve again? It, it doesn't say. He, but he got it in 2011, so if, he, if this was... Oh, yeah. This was 2002. Wow, he didn't even serve that much time then. Because even if this was 1999 that he was convicted, let's just say, that's only like 12 years, 13 years. Yeah. That's nothing. That's nothing. For murder? Hell no. Yeah, Yeah, this is crazy. But yeah, so he got out of 2011. He's living back in truth or consequences. Apparently, he's active on social media too, which is crazy to think about. Uh, That's not good at all. Nope. Cindy Hindi because you know how there's like fucking really crazy fucked up people who will uh like be legit fans mm-hmm. yeah uh of people like that and he could basically like start the cult all over again He'd, they could be doing it right now yeah he could yeah especially since not only is he free but so is Jesse. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, Cindy, who I'm not sure what her motives would be at this point in time, but she was up for parole like a few years ago, I think. Yeah, that's yeah. That's actually what I was going to say next is actually that uh, Cindy Hindi only served half her sentence and was released in July of 2019. So she's a free woman now. Oh, jeez. That was like two years ago, right? Yeah, two years ago. Yeah, so yeah at this point, one. wait, July? Yeah, 2019. Almost two years ago. Yeah, almost two years ago. So, yeah, she's a free woman. Jeez. So they're all, essentially everyone's free except they, David Parker. Except Ray. David. Dead. Yeah, because he died. But the thing about this... But, like, I mean, even, you know, he wouldn't have been out anyway because he got sentenced to 224 years. Yeah. 
But the crazy thing is he didn't even really serve a sentence. Yeah, he... To my understanding, he only served about like eight months, and that's because he was constantly in holding throughout the trials yep. and stuff. Other than that, he as soon as everything was finalized, he died. Yep. He literally only served literally not even a full day of his actual sentence. Like he was in a holding yeah. cell, but yeah. of his actual technical sentence, he only served a couple minutes. That's crazy, dude. Yeah. That is crazy to me. I just it, it almost it sucks because to me it's like I mean obviously he's dead, right? So I'm, I'm, I'd much rather him be dead than alive, but still it's like death was too good for him. You know, like yeah. he, he should have been, man, he should have been tortured the same way he tortured everyone else, man. Uh, he, let's just say, I don't know, man, if, oh, okay. So, okay. Here's actually, before I go into that, here's actually a crazy thing that I, that I found out. I don't know if this is true or not, but I read this in an article that said that, uh, the crazy thing is that David Parker Ray uh, supposedly found God during his that that during the time that he was a uh, I guess because like technically even though he wasn't serving a sentence yet because it was a trial he was still in a holding cell like yeah. he was still in jail yeah he was so in jail. supposedly during this eight month period like you were saying he supposedly found God and in May of two thousand two he contacted authorities and said I'll talk like I'm ready to talk and tell you like where their bodies are and everything. Yeah. Which is like huge for them because they're like, shoot, we don't have anything, you know? Yeah. This is great. So investigators like immediately scheduled a meeting and as soon as they could, uh, you know, scheduled a meeting as soon as they could. And right before they could have the meeting, he had this massive heart attack and died. Yeah. Which just put a fork wrench uh, in everything. Yeah. Fork wrench and all of it. Yeah. So, um, I, I don't know, man. I just like I at the end of, that. at the end of this case, uh, I mean, that's, that's it. Like we just wrapped it up. Uh, but yeah. At the end of this case, you know, I, I'm personally just left feeling like, um, just kind of like unfinished business, honestly. Like, I feel like he didn't fully get everything he deserved. Well, that's going to wrap up our series on the toy box killer, also known as David Parker Ray. Um, I don't know about you. I'm just, I'm just so glad we don't have to talk about this guy anymore. I'm so glad that we're finally done with this case, uh, and that both parts are finished. Um, you know, not only talking about the case, but doing research into the case, it, it was uh, it was kind of hard. I'm not gonna lie, because uh, you know, yes, you know, uh, murder is horrible, but whenever rape is involved in cases, um, or even for for this case specifically, uh, rape, but then also you know, torture and sexual torture. Whenever that stuff is involved on top of the murder, it makes it it makes it a lot harder to even talk about it and or to even really want to research it um just from a, a perspective of it's like heavy and obviously the torture and sexual violence and and uh sadisticness of this killer was off the charts and um yeah it, it was hard to talk about and hard to research for sure but i'm glad it's over with um even though in my opinion he uh you know deserved he didn't really get what he deserved in in the sense that he passed away really before he served really served any significant amount of time I am grateful that his his um, his reign of terror, his reign of just sadism, came to an end, and I'm grateful that we no longer the world no longer has to worry about um, David Parker Ray. But thank you guys so much for sticking with us throughout these um, two episodes. I know it was heavy, it may have been hard to listen to, but I thank you guys for for sticking it out with us. Um, thank you for tuning in to the Devil's Hour, a podcast for the strange and unusual. I'll see you next time.